This is episode 393 for October 2015, the last day of October is when I'm recording this intro. Uh, we actually recorded this episode back in September. We'd like to record a few back-to-back to get them in the can. But in the span of when we recorded this episode and October 31st, uh, my computer blew up. My computer of several years blew up. So luckily I was able to have some backups, so I was able to save uh, this file and several others. But uh, we'll play a little bit of catch-up in November. Before we get to Spider History for October, I'd like to ask for your support to uh, ensure that we get more episodes out. Log on to our front page at spidermancrawlspace.com. Look for a button on the right-hand side that says support this site via PayPal. You can help us pay the bills with the bandwidth costs, etc. that it takes to put out 390-plus episodes. All right, gang, on with the show. Hey, Crawl Spacers, welcome to Spider History for October. We're going back to October of 1999, JR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going back to October 1999, and here it is, October 2015, and the leaves are falling. You know, they're all brown and everything, and people are buying Halloween costumes, and the, the, the nip is in the air because it is October 2015 while we're yeah. recording this. Ah. Uh, <laughs> you were saying... Uh, yes, this uh, issue is Volume 2 of Amazing Spider-Man, uh, number 10, and written by Howard Mackey, pencils by John Byrne on the cover. Uh, what is that character's name? I forget. Anyway, he's lifting Spider-Man above his head, and he's got Doc Ock. Captain Power. Uh, yeah, is that Captain yeah, Power? Yeah, we'll it's get the... into that. We'll get into that. Okay, it's Captain Power. Okay, take me through this issue. Well, <laughs> got to tell a little story first. Yeah, about Captain Power, huh? Well, no, no, we'll get to Captain Power, but we have to set it up. Set it up, baby. All right. Now, boys and girls, we are entering a darker period than even the Clone Saga. Really? Yes. We, uh, really? Okay. A dark. <coughs> Excuse me. We are entering the period of the reboot of '99, aka yeah. the Burn Mackey reboot. A.K.A. another product of the madness of Bob Harris. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Anyway, replacing Peter Parker by saying he was a clone for 20 years turned out to be, with everybody except Zach, an incredibly, <laughs> incredibly unpopular move. And <laughs> now I'm going to say this and then I'm going to qualify it. And sales started tanking on the Spider-Man titles. But for a while, I think Zach will confirm during the Clone Saga, that it was actually selling very well, the it Clone Saga. Be- it was the best-selling Marvel book at the time, even outselling at the time X-Men for a brief period. Wow. But then I think along the way, the, the, well, the whole thing about people were pretty furious that Peter had been replaced. And I think that in a, in, in a combination of that and really the excesses of the 90s were right. all becoming uh, coming to haunt the industry. Mm-hmm. So when did the sales start tanking, Zach, exactly? Did, really? Did, um, was it the slap? I, I think it was, well, that, that was kind of the beginning. There's that period of, of maximum clonage to the, um, I call it the Scarlet Spider Month, the two months of, of yeah. the Age of Apocalypse. That really did, that was the truly... 
when sales started really tanking up. Then when they did the Ben is Spider-Man, Return of Spider-Man month, it, yeah. sales picked back up for a little bit, and then it started the, uh, regressing um, towards the end of the clone flight. And I think there was a bit of a bump with Revelations since there was actually a finale to the story. But yeah, it, it really... It was it was not nearly, but the the problem is too, the entire industry started to collapse, and the, all the chaos with Marvel behind the scenes, the five editors in chief experiment that was just horribly went awry. Um, which, by the way, uh, minor minor tidbit that uh, Jr. mentioned a few months ago when he was talking about the Clone Saga and the New Warriors. The only reason they were in the stories that they were in was because for some reason inexplicably. The new warriors were put in the Spider-Man group for no goddamn reason. <laughs> so that's yeah. But anyway, yeah. Um, but yeah, that that really the end of the Clone Saga. There was a bump, but not enough. Nearly, they weren't selling nearly as many copies as they were at the beginning of the Clone Saga. Yeah, it was kind of a a perfect storm of yes, uh, things going on. I mean, you had you had the revelation that Peter was was not the real Spider Man, and then you had I mean, I, I, frankly, maximum cloning sucked. Absolutely, <laughs> it sucked. I, I, I see that as a clone fan. Yeah, I mean, if you were, ex- I mean, really, because uh, if you were expecting, an- that was where you were expecting some answers. You know, mm-hmm. you had just gotten, you had just gotten dropped this bomb that, you know, and, and getting beyond, you know, the what we think of the Clone Saga overall. But as a story, you had just gotten this bomb that Peter Parker was not the real Spider-Man. So you expected then maximum clonage to explain it. Right. And it didn't. <laughs> It just not yeah, it yeah, it didn't explain anything, you know. And, uh, and it, I hate it, to it, insult Todd DeZago, but when we were when we were reviewing that on Clone Saga Chronicles, one of my criticisms was four of the six issues were scripted by Todd DeZago, the guy that's essentially at the time the rookie. You don't bring DeFalco <laughs> to do it. You don't bring DiMatteis to do it. You bring DeZago to do it. That was stupid in retrospect. Yeah, I mean, well, it, it, but it's like you were saying too, Zach. The whole Marvel was in, Marvel's management structure was in total chaos. Yes, and the industry was collapsing. I mean, it was yeah. The basically all the excesses of the '90s were coming back to it. All the you know the variant covers and the the numerous series and mini series and you know all that stuff. Just everybody had had enough. Everybody had enough, and we're just yeah dumping things. So so anyway, so when Peter came back. You know, sales didn't recover. I mean, sales were still collapsing because, again, like I said, it was the yeah. excess of the 90s. So all the, you know, all the bad judgment of the publishing companies, the death of Superman, all that stuff. Anyway, the sad thing is, I actually kind of liked a lot of the stuff that was coming out of the post-Clone Saga era. Yes. I did, too. You know, because great era. too. Very yeah. underrated. Yeah, Norman was a regular character, and he was and he was and he doing all sorts of and he was being handled very well by both Demetrius and yes Howard Mackey. You know, yeah, we had you know, and and I make fun of Demetrius a lot for various reasons. I mean, when the guy goes on these psychological deep ends, I mean, he just really goes off the cliff, you know. And it's and, and like I said, he's you know he's he's so far left that it's it's uh, it's frightening, but. Yeah. Uh, 
but anyway, but he was writing some good stuff. And DeFalco was doing amazing. So you had DeFalco and DeMatteis and Howard doing some good stuff. And, of course, then you had DeZago over here at uh, Sensational. But yeah, Sensational, yeah. Was, there was, uh, to me, the, the, you, you kind of give it a bit of a bad rap. I thought the looter stuff was fun. I thought the stuff with, with, with uh, him and Mike Ringo was pure, unadulterated fun. It shouldn't be taken too seriously in terms of its, uh, in terms of its vibe, but it was a lot of fun. And it was the first book of the month that shipped, if I remember yes, correctly. Yes, it replaced Webb. Yeah. So yeah. so it was always the, the the how you started your month off with. Yeah. So okay. So despite the fact that we disagree about sensational, uh, <laughs> it, it did have, but even if even if you want to you know give Zach a little bit of credit and say maybe that was so you 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 had some pretty strong Spider Man going on, pretty yes, well written Spider Man going on. Uh, Four times a month, yeah. Certainly a lot better than we're getting now, and a lot better than we've had in a long time. But it wasn't helping sales. And, of course, Bob Harris, in all of his infinite wisdom, said, I know what the solution to this is. We're going to reboot Spider-Man. We're going to, first of all, bring back Aunt May, because Aunt May had died, really, in Amazing Spider-Man number 400. But Harris decreed that she had to come back. Now, at the time, I, I have to admit, this is where I reverse, reverse gears after some time. I thought she should have stayed dead. I thought, you know, she had outlived her usefulness, you know, it, just years ago. And it was time just to move on. And I was glad she was gone. Years later, I'm actually glad she's back. Because, yeah. well, one, the problem with the character was not the character. The problem was how she was written. Um and even now, though, they st- I don't know what it is with it, why people can't get that character right. But anyway, but uh, it kind of goes back to, you know, you look back and you see all these classic characters getting killed off. You see all the supporting cast and you realize that Spider-Man's horror has just been was being eviscerated. So I'm kind of glad that, that May's back. But anyway, back then, though, it was just Bob Harris saying, well, you know, that, the whole Joe Caseta argument. Well, it wasn't that way when I was a little kid. So now it's got to be this way now. Yeah, and to be fair, there's been one great story with a competent writer with Aunt May, I would say, that made it worth it. But outside of that, it hasn't really been that worth it, do you? Talking about JMS? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of glad she's back, but but yeah, it's it's the stories. And and nobody can Mm -hmm. get her right. See, the thing is, I think one reason Jay Mateus made it worth it, and actually um, uh, Roberto Aguila Sacasa made it (laughs) it work as well, but – that's because she knew who Spider-Man was. I mean, because the whole Absolutely. part of the problem with Aunt May is that how can this old, how can this dingbat be so stupid that she doesn't realize her quote-unquote son is Spider-Man? You know, yeah. and and why is Peter such a so ballless that he won't tell her that? It's <laughs> so, like you get neutered. Yeah, so you've had. So like a- the things that don't make sense, you know, I mean, how can she not know that her own son is Spider-Man, you know, and how come he doesn't have the balls to tell her? So anyway, that's kind of always been part of the problem. But anyway, so Harris said she had to come back. So she came back uh, and so they decided to reboot the Spider-Man titles. They canceled Sensational and Spectacular for the sole reason that they were the two lower selling titles. Mm-hmm. Um, and Peter decided to give up being Spider-Man because they had to wrap up the regular run by telling the absolute one of the absolute worst Spider-Man stories ever 
in the gathering, gathering of the five. five and the final yep. chapter. Yeah, those were pretty bad for for some very good reasons. Okay, you want to enlighten us? Actually, no. Wait, never mind. Um, you, were you expecting me? Were you expecting me to jump in on that? There. No, I was confusing that from when Norman actually came back, but that actually happened earlier. Yeah, that was that was close. Yeah, that's my bad. No, yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, that was because uh, think, well, gathering the five brings five mystical artifacts that are supposed to uh, give all this power and and mumbo jumbo mystical bullshit. And uh, the final chapter, your final climactic battle was actually just a, a PCP-induced fever dream that uh, was in Norman Osborn's head. Yeah, I mean, basically, all these subplots that all these writers had going on all had to be basically shit-canned, you know, just to wrap everything up so Bob Karras could have his new number ones. Okay, and... Now, and something else devious was going. This was all part of Harris's master plan to bring Spider-Man back to his young swing and single self. So, you know, the Mary Jane was going to be quote unquote killed later on. So, and in the midst of this sinister reboot, Spider-Man's very continuity was going to be rebooted as well, which is what brought John Byrne was brought in to do, and hence becomes <laughs> Chapter One. Um, it wasn't quite as extensive as what Byrne did with Superman, where Superman was literally rewritten from the ground up. But they it was decided a love to... letter, don't you know? Uh, was, oh yeah, it, was it wasn't a love, a love letter. letter. Well, we originally it, originally it was kind of sold as um, it wasn't so much a reboot, but just kind of a reordering of things. You know, kind of going back. And, and I, and the way I originally read it, I said, oh, you know, actually, this is kind of a decent idea. You know, going back. You know. 30, you know, looking back with on 35 years of history and saying, okay, what can we kind of move around here to make this a more coherent story and, you know, make it look like it actually happened with a plan instead of, you know, just happening by coincidence, which is all, you know, what, what really happened. So I was kind of interested in the possibility, but then found out that it was just a, uh, it was going to be a retelling and <laughs> it was going to be a worse retelling. It's like, you know, if you're going to redo something, Try to make it. If you're going to remake something, at least try to do it better than it was the first time. So we knew the story was going to be shit when we found out that not. It wasn't just this lone spider that bit Peter. You know, turned radioactive and bit Peter, and he wandered out and said, "Holy cow, I've got superpowers!" No, this was like part of a big experiment by Doctor Octopus because we were going to tie. Spider-Man's and Dr. Octopus's origins together, and there was going to be this big, massive radiation explosion, and it was going to kill all these people, you know, and Peter was going to be in the hospital for weeks and in a coma, and, you know, then he would come out of it, and then Spider-Man would appear, and nobody would get wise to the thing. And it- so, so basically, uh, The Flash Season 1 stole its premise from, uh, from Chapter 1. Contrary, true, yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of true story. <laughs> except better, yeah, except better. I'm sorry, Jay. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean no, to throw so, off your motion. And then we found out that instead of, you know, I mean, that the bur- the reason the burglar uh, was in Forest Hills was because he, um, oh, what the hell, he was he was casing the place earlier or something like that. I forget. It was a stupid mm-hmm. reason. Oh, the computer. Yeah, that was it. Uh, yeah, he's trying to steal yeah. a computer. Yeah, computer. He, uh, yep. <laughs> Because instead of a microscope, Ben and May gave Peter a computer. Well, the, the the burglar happened to be either in or working at the computer store at the time. And so he saw Ben by the computer. So he's going to go all the way to Forest Hills to steal this computer. I, you know? I, thought, he, I thought he was the sales guy to the, for the, at the computer store or something like that. Yeah, I don't know.
don't know exactly what he was doing there, but it was like, so he's going to go all the way to Forest Hills to steal this computer. Okay. Um, so anyway, that's when he kills Ben or whatever. So anyway, so Dr. Octopus, you know, he goes, he starts walking around with metal legs now and not wearing pants. Okay, yeah, pantsless so Ock. He, he becomes pantless bionic Ock. So, and, that's like an action figure variant. <laughs> don't get many ideas. I think they actually made it like a made one that was kind of similar. Yeah, so, unfortunately. So anyway, so then the whole first year of Amazing Spider-Man, and well, I had actually and Peter Parker Spider-Man was uh, was going to be using this revised continuity, and then Bob Harris inexplicably decided to give Howard Mackey both surviving monthly Spider-Man titles. Now, I'm not counting web spinners because that was something different. We'll talk about web spinners later. Um, right. But um, actually, do we have an issue of web spinners this month? Yes, we do. Here, yeah, we do. Isn't okay. that a chameleon yeah. issue? Yes, actually, it is. And that actually was the uh, <laughs> the best issue of the month. Best yeah. issue of the year, in fact, I think. Uh, but Mackie, I think, and I, it's one of those things I think I, re- I think I read, and then I don't know where I got it from, where the source is. But I thought by the, Mackie had already admitted he was tapped out on Spider-Man. He probably said in something like Wizard or something like that. But Bob Harris gives him both titles then, after he's already burned out on the character. So and I and think, so I think there's more to that story because to me I would think somebody like a like a Demetrius or a DeFalco would have said that had had they I think there was some bad blood or something along those lines where where one of those two guys could have stepped up and said, hey, I'm willing to write both Spider-Man books. But DeFalco had kind of bolted out early um, on Amazing, a couple issues before chapter or final chapter, and DiMatteis didn't stick around for the final chapter. Like they, they, they left like in protest, it sounded like. That's very possible. I mean, I, I don't know all the machinations. Um, there was the- actually talk with... Um, um, Andrew Goltez and Glenn Greenberg, the guys from Life of Riley, about doing a follow-up called The Death of Spider-Man. Hmm. I, wish that had, I wish that had happened. I mean, I, I... Me too. That would have been interesting. I would have... But I don't know. It didn't That'd happen. be a great idea for a podcast. So, you know, what really happened. But anyway, so they gave... I, I used to think that back in the days when it was just amazing and spectacular back in the 70s and the early 80s i was thinking boy you know it would be nice if one person wrote both of these so that they would have the same seamless you know they would have like a seamless continuity and there wouldn't be like such jarring you know discrepancies in stories you know spider-man's you know he he's fighting uh, crooks down in the sewers in new york and amazing and he's out in outer space and spectacular or something like that but but right. this obviously proved that it's a bad idea for one person <laughs> to write both exactly titles. We saw it with Slot exactly. and with, now with Mackie, as well as, I mean, we had a bit of that with Jerry Conway, Webb, and, and Spectacular in the 80s. But it's like if, you know, if, one, if a guy's not on the beam the month, you've got somebody else who can, you know, who maybe yeah. can pick up the slack. But if you have somebody yeah. who's in a down period, then everything is down. Everything is bad. Mm-hmm. So, right. um, so anyway, so Howard Mackie has both titles, and what ha- happens that first 18 months or so is some of the most dreadful Spider-Man storytelling ever. Yeah, uh, I would agree. And Jr., uh, can I come up with like a, uh, a comparison on that? Sure. It wouldn't it be like the Denny O'Neill and Clone Saga had a baby, and that's the reboot. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I don't know. I mean, because the Denny, o- the Denny O'Neill, yeah, the Denny O'Neill era was uh, 
Oh, that was awful too. What is the what is the worst era, Jr. <sighs> it's hard. Is to, it this? You know, it's hard to tell because I mean, the thing is, despite you know, it's like what is the best or worst of anything when you're talking about a character that's been around now fifty years. Yeah. Because sometimes things are bad for the times that they're in. And or sometimes things are good at the times they're in, and if they were the stories were told that we loved in the sixties and seventies were told now, they would be lame and awful. Um, it's a toss up. It's really a toss up um, because between I, I, this and Clone Saga, no, 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 between this and the Denny O'Neill era. Oh, okay, yeah. Clone the Saga. See, see, the Clone Saga may, may cleared it. Then the that isn't the worst era. Didn't go near as long. No, the Daniel Nero was was up pretty quickly. Uh, which, we've been with this shit for eight years now. Yeah, we've never we've never gotten a satisfactory reason for why the stories were so bad. We've never gotten a satisfactory reason, you know, why he was kicked off the title so soon. Uh, but you know, basically, but you know. Hey, he didn't like the character. Daniel O'Neill did not like the Spider-Man character. It wasn't his favorite How character. How do you not like Spider-Man? He didn't like writing Spider-Man. He 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 didn't care about the character. You know, he he was, you know, he he'd rather write DC characters. I mean, you know, that was that was his forte, and he did some classic DC stuff. They should have given him Moon Knight when he got over there. Probably so. <laughs> he could have yeah. done better with Moon Knight. But you know, it's it's pot. You know, he was he was. I I think he probably got the job as Spider-Man editor and writer probably as a favor. He was dealing. You know, the, the, he he was pretty messed up. He'd had substance abuse problems, marital problems, um, and there were you know Jim Shooter pretty well claimed that O'Neill didn't write a lot of his own stuff that he farmed it out. <laughs> um, but. Um, Anyway, so it, it's a toss-up, but but the the Burn Mackey reboot was just Denny, the Denny O'Neill era wasn't deliberately bad, wasn't deliberately an f u to the fans. Whereas I think the Burn Mackey thing was definitely an f u to the fans. You know, by you know, I just, killing I, off I, Mary I, Jane, and and then the way Burn and Matt resolved that whole who was the who was the uh, who was Norman's Green Goblin doppelganger, how he resolved that. You know, I, I think that was they, they were just basic, basically telling the fans it's, to piss off. It's very it's it's very interesting when you consider that the editor in chief uh, at the time, uh, Harris Harris was the one who ordered Mary Jane killed off mm-hmm. uh, to get Mary Jane out of the picture. So I guess you know he could live vicariously through Spider Man again, like so many of these you know mid forties guys do. Um, and then later on, we had another editor in chief. You know. To stroke his own ego, come in and say, "Well, you got to get rid of the marriage, less Mary Jane." At least, at least with the Clone Saga, it started off in the writers' room. <laughs> the four writers got together and said, "Hey, yeah, that's that's true." I mean, uh, uh, well, yeah, but I mean, it was still an edict from uh, from Harris. And later, I remember. You remember when Mackie quit Jr. and Mackie went on uh, the Alvaro boards and explained his side of stuff. Uh, actually, no, I don't. He did. He got on there and he was like, "Look, I didn't want to kill Mary Jane. We didn't have a choice." Oh, that's right. And Burns <clears throat> said he didn't even want to do it. That's why he drew the um, the door coming off the plane. The door the, coming yeah, off the plane. Yeah, yeah the they did door. Yeah. I mean, Burns said he didn't like the marriage either. He said, but the way to resolve it was not by killing Mary Jane off. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, Harris. But, funny, but Harris I, was I, also I just, the guy who decreed that Norman returned. So, you know, whatever. I guess. So it's like a double shot of bad. <laughs> did a little search for Denny. I typed Denny O'Neill and Spider-Man in, in Google, and it came up with the top 25 best Spider-Man writers. And guess what number Denny O'Neill came out? Number 25, according to CBR's 
top 25 list. It says O'Neill was the regular writer on Amazing from 207 to 223. He, uh, the, uh, he, Let's see. 18 months, right? O'Neill's run was a dramatic departure from Marv Wolfman's previous run. O'Neill seemed to be interested in invoking a Ditko Leaf feel to his Spider-Man stories, introduced new characters like Madam Web and Hydro Man, <sighs> and he amped up the the down-on-his-luck style stories with Peter. Uh, most notable issues from his run where Spider-Man tries to protect the runners of the New York City Marathon. Okay. Wow. So this Somebody's is CPR, drunk. right? This is George. This is, George, you, this is you've, got, uh, you've got an opinion of the journalistic ethics and quality of CBR, don't you? <laughs> yeah, you mean the ads they run and call interviews? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get through these issues, yeah. Jer. We've got amazing oh, ten. Oh, oh, there we go. There we go. There was I, I didn't see it, see it in the window, but there is. There was my four minute. Well, we're, we're twenty three minutes into this. Moving in. We're twenty three minutes into this show. We need to get some issues moving going. Moving like a pro. But yeah, <laughs> but we had we had to kind of set this up for what's going on. So that's true. You, an, you did anyway. Everybody ate up the new number ones, but this whole reboot thing turned a bit be a total disaster, and sales started tanking again. So anyway, so now we start with Amazing Spider-Man number ten. So give us the the, the uh, lead in, Brad. I already did a while back. Oh hell, I <laughs> forgot. All right, we got Captain Power holding the oh. Spider-Man above his head, and and uh, Doc Ock on his other arm. Okay, Howard Mackey and John Byrne writing. Okay, it. okay. So Peter gave up being Spider-Man. There was a fake Spider-Man for a while who was Maddie Franklin, pretending to be Spider-Man since Spider-Man appeared to have retired. Maddie got her powers during the infamous Gathering of Five ceremony, which also created Shadrach and drove Norman Osborn even loonier. Okay, Mary Jane is a rich, famous supermodel, and she and Peter and Aunt May are all living in a deluxe apartment in the sky yai yai. <laughs> so anyway, Peter becomes Spider-Man again, which he's not supposed to because he told Mary Jane he wouldn't become Spider-Man again. Uh, and Aunt May got a new hairdo, which looks like a mushroom. So, okay, now you're set up. All right, anyway... Someone has been going around killing the survivors of that explosion that irradiated the spider that gave Peter his powers and turned Otto Octavius into pantsless bionic Ock. Okay? And at the end of issue 9, Doc Ock is captured by this mystery person for some nefarious reason. And in issue 10, we find out that person is Captain Power, who for some reason is drawn like a Superman knockoff. Anyway, Doc... Isn't that one of the dumbest names? Yes. <laughs> I mean, my, it's like they weren't even trying. Well, they weren't. Yeah. So Doc Ock lost a tentacle in that battle with Doctor Power, with Captain Power, which suddenly revives on its own and, and gets away, and it figures in later. Peter goes to his job at Tricorp. Remember, because in issue number one, Peter went and got a job at Tricorp, which he then promptly didn't decided not to show up for. You know, and Tricorp had the whole United Nations. Uh, of, uh, of 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 sci- of co scientists there, you know, and including you know the uh, the, uh, the the the, the African American girl in a wheelchair because by then Mackie had run out a number of you know he was d- down to his limited characters he could use so he decided to wrap up a couple of of interest groups into one so he came up with the African American girl in the wheelchair so but uh, oh, man <laughs> yeah so anyway Tricorp so it was Peter's uh, Peter goes to his job at Tricorp and he gets chewed out by Doctor Twacky. You know, for not showing up to work. 
So anyway, halfway halfway around the world, Mary Jane, who's a supermodel, she's trying to get a flight back to the U.S., but she's being tracked by a mysterious stalker who likes suckers. <laughs> Remember the stalker? Remember the mysterious stalker and how that subplot came to a glorious end? It wasn't Jonathan Caesar. Nope. nope. Well, he was dead. Uh, it, was, but, it was the guy with the sucker. Yeah, it yeah. was a brewing subplot. Who is this mysterious stalker? We're never shown. Did we ever find out? We, uh, but yeah, yeah, but you're getting. Uh, we're we're never shown his face, so he must be someone we've met or are going to meet, right? Right? Howard Mackey wouldn't create subplots that really don't go anywhere or make any sense, would he? Would he? Yeah. Well, yeah. We find out that the stalker is someone we absolutely have never met before and has never figured out anything and has no re- blah 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 blah. And basically, Paul Jenkins had to come in and re- and write that story and, and yep. bail Mackey's ass out of it. So. Yep. <laughs> anyway, so Peter goes back to his deluxe apartment in the Sky Yai Yai, and guess what? Jill Stacy is there. Now, remember, at the end of the clone, after the clone saga. Or at the very end of the Clone Saga, uh, George's brother Arthur came back from England, which we actually met Arthur back in Maisie Spider-Man 90, but he was George's older brother, and he talked like a proper Englishman. Well, now this Arthur is actually George's younger brother, uh, and he's a cynical old cop. So, complete change there. But anyway, so he has two kids, Jill and Paul. And Paul is a douchebag. Uh, and Jill is obviously, you know, and Jill is the sweet person. You know, we get, you know, good Stacy, bad Stacy. Well, Jill is who wanted Bob, who Bob Harris wanted Peter hooked up with after Mary Jane was dead. Yeah, because during this whole year, Jill keeps showing up in places she's not supposed to show up in. She shows up at the Daily Bugle. She shows up when Peter's taking a walk down the street. She's uh, she shows up when he's taking a shit in the Walmart bathroom or something. I mean, she just keeps <laughs> she does she keeps showing up, you know. Uh-huh. And so she show you know so mutant power. She shows up here, you know. And, you know what though? Still more tolerable than Carly Cooper because you didn't have every other member of the cast telling Peter how perfect she was for him. Exactly, exactly. She was hinting she was perfect, but, you know, yeah, you're right. Mary Jane didn't say, you know what, Peter, you should dump my ass and go out with Jill. She really knows where it's at. Stop mourning me and go after that gorgeous brunette, Peter. No, that's not what, that's not how that went down. So, anyway, Jill is there at the, the apartment, and she's worried about her father, uh, who's all wrapped up in this Senator Ward business. Because you, you remember the Senator Ward subplot. Oh, God. Yeah, that was yeah. a mess. <laughs> Which, you know, it turned yes. out that everybody talked about how bad he was, but nobody ever said what he did. It was just, he's a bad dude. If you remember the, Joey, the classic Joey Z episode we talked about. I was about to say, he's a lot like Joey Z. So he was just a bad dude, but what what it was that he did, we never knew, you know. But then it turned out he was taken, he was possessed by an alien yeah. pet. <laughs> yeah, that was so dumb. And that, and that was like a bad part. And that was where where the editor had to actually promise everybody that the story was going to come to a conclusion, you know. So yes, no, we really will funny. end it. Um, well, they've so anyway. gotten about it for so long, and he's right. I think in the letters page, Macchio had to say, "No, really, we're going somewhere with this." Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, Spider-Man goes back to the old General Tectonics building because General Tectonics is the company that put on this whole exhibition. Okay, and so he goes back to the building where this occurred for some clues, and that's where Captain Power has Doc Ock. And of course, it brings back the horror of that accident, which of course affects Spider-Man to this day, right? Yeah. So anyway, Spider-Man finds Doc Ock and tells him the and Doc Ock tells him the whole story behind Captain Power, who's really a girl. Okay, because 
Captain Power was Doc Ock's assistant during the explosion, and she's come after Ock for revenge because for the uh, because she blames him for the accident, and she's killing all the survivors because she feels they unfairly survived, whereas she's been horribly scarred, and she's got this now she's got this mutagen which allows her to change her appearance or whatever, and you know change herself into a guy. Um, now she has a dong. Yeah, exactly. So. Anyway, Oct tells Spidey how to stop her because she's going to go kill Dr. Twacky because Dr. <laughs> you know, because Dr. I forget how Dr. Twacky was involved. Dr. Twacky fired Doc. Oh, I know because Tricorp basically absorbed whatever was left of General Tectonics. General Tectonics went completely bust because of all the litigation and everything. But uh, so basically then I guess Tricorp came and took over what was left and Dr. Twacky kicked out Doc Ock. So anyway, so she's going to go kill Dr. Twacky and she's been driven mad by all this radiation poisoning, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, Spider-Man treats her like she's the battery of a, she's the dead battery of a car. Okay, so he takes, <laughs> he takes a couple of cables and jams them into her, and you know she zaps back into her natural state, which is some horribly deformed person from the radioactive experiment. Uh, or it's like a green blob with blonde hair. Yep. So Peter's this the story. You know, Peter is reflecting back on how oh, there's only three survivors of that accident. Doc Ock, me, and her, and we're all messed up in some way. Maybe I'm as mad as they are. So, oh, this is deep, serious shit. MJ is flying home, and she sees the picture. Is t- Peter is taking pictures of Spider-Man, which means he has become Spider-Man again. He's not supposed to be Spider-Man anymore. She's really going to be pissed. And we then see the mysterious stalker steal a taxi cab to meet Mary Jane at the airport to be continued. Hmm. All right, do we go to Peter Parker now? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. All right, Peter Parker, Spider-Man number 10, okay. written by Howard Mackey, John Romita Jr. on pencils. This cover has Venom uh, wrapping Spider-Man up in one arm and holding J. Jonah Jameson with the other, and on the cover it says, Cry Venom, Cry Vengeance. Okay. Now, at this time, even though the sto- the, sto- the continuity was a lot tighter, but Mackey was still, still writing... A- Pretty well two separate storylines. So anyway, this story begins in a correctional facility that has only one prisoner, Cletus Cassidy, also known as Carnage. Of course, we we all know that because when we talked about the news site, when we talked in the news segment last month, uh, <laughs> you know, we talked about how Carnage was talking to some you know cra- PCP crackhead or whatever. You know, PCP fever dream induced crackhead. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and was talking to him and made him burn down something. Not the fact that this piece person is a worthless piece of shit, but because you know he you know Carnage. He read a comic book and Carnage. His was lord and savior was was uh, a <laughs> uh, Cletus Cat. So anyway, there's a janitor cleaning, you know, uh, you know, mopping the floor in front of Cletus's cell. But it turns out, aha, the janitor is really Eddie Brock slash Venom, who has come back to take the Carnage symbiote. Because you remember back in issue Amazing 360 something or whatever, uh, when they were they were roomies in prison. And it got out and cut himself or whatever, and dribbles or drabs of the symbiote landed on Cletus, and Cletus turned into Carnage. Well, now Venom has come to take the Carnage symbiote back, so he takes it back. All right, now back to the Parker apartment where Peter is putting up a welcome banner for welcome home banner for Mary Jane, and guess what? Jill Stacy is there again, and so. 
so he's he's standing on a ladder, right? And he's putting up the this banner, and he starts to slip, and he says, oh, I can't reveal to Jill and Aunt May that I'm Spider-Man, so I'm going to just have to fall flat on my ass. Anyway, but, since, but Jill decides to get under him and tries to catch him, and they fall down and go boom together, which, of course, is supposed to be another hint that, oh, boy, this is all going to lead to something, right? You know, because, oh, Mary Jane's going to be out of the picture, and then these two are going to be free to screw. Anyway, I remember so, where I was yeah. when I read that and how mad I was about it. Because yeah, it was, because that was that heavily implied. Yeah, it wasn't even there was you know there was no subtlety about it whatsoever. Yeah. It was like the subtlety you know, of a hammer. Jill is here because she is going to take Mary Jane's place. Um, that was the that was the uh, the creative staff telling you how perfect she was for Peter and instead of the characters. Yep. So anyway, Venom's going over his list of things to do. The first being kill my landlord, which. Has to be a, a nod to Eddie Murphy's Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood skit, you know, where he was <laughs> on Saturday Night Live, where you know, kill my landlord, you know, kill my landlord. <laughs> so anyway, so there's about on his list, there's about three kill Spider Mans, and then another one that says destroy the Daily Bugle. So Venom goes off to the Daily Bugle. Anyway, Peter is preparing this little get together with Mary Jane because he missed a plane that was supposed to take them to on their second honeymoon. All right. And what comes up next is one of the other cliches of that first year of the reboot, which made us so thoroughly sick and pissed off. And that was the we're too young stuff. Peter says, so Peter says, I missed our second honeymoon, but we're too young to have had a first honeymoon for crying out loud. We're too young. Wait a minute. We were both college graduates. I went to grad school for a while, but we were too young to get married. Yeah. Yeah. Too young. This This is why I always remember this period in time, because... Peter was written out of character as a widower, especially where Mary Jane was concerned until Jenkins got there. And then Mm -hmm. Jenkins was like, okay, I'm going to write the character exactly how the character should be now. And Peter was miserable when Jenkins wrote him, when Jenkins first started writing him. And and then some people hated it. They were like, well, he's too miserable. He's not cracking jokes. And and I was like, dude, he lost his wife that he's known and dated on and off, you know, for several years before they even got married. He's not supposed to be happy-go-lucky. Right. Which is another thing which is absolutely befuddling about the mentality at the time, or I was going to say Marvel's mentality or Bob Harris's mentality. They wanted Mary Jane out. Of, he wanted Mary Jane out of the picture so Peter could go screwing around again. But how quick are you going to go screwing around after your wife after dies? After your wife is dead. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how quick are you going to go? I, it's just particularly as someone as, as, as well, you know, guilt-ridden as Peter Parker is. Yeah. You know, you it, you know, he's going to hold a candle for her for a long time. He's just and, that type of person. In fact, he did for several issues. He kept going around trying to find Mary Jane. He was like, well, "She's out there somewhere." He he refused to believe that she was dead. Yeah. So why why did they think that he could just go around and start dating again after his wife? It, uh, madness, absolute madness. The madness of Bob Harris. When, anyway. when when Jenkins took over and started writing Peter, you know, in mourning and everything else, and was sad. I took that as as, as well. Hell, when Jenkins got there, period. I took that as an admission that, that that they had fucked up. That they were admitting that, and that they. And then by the time they bought JMS, and JMS told them, "I want to bring her back." You know, well, at this time too, Bob Harris was about to get shit canned, right? Yeah, I think I think that's part of. I don't know that they admitted they made a mistake. During this, peri- during this period is when they were doing the uh, house ads for uh, Marvel Knights. Marvel Knights, yeah, 
and 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 this is a this is this is a clear case of be careful what you wish for because I was wishing for Bob Harris to get the boot, and what I got to fill Bob Harris's shoes was every bit as bad. You got Quemus. Yeah. Did you did you think do you think if um, Jimmy Jimmy Palmiotti got the the EIC chair instead would have been better? No, because I think there was pressure uh, from above to to make Peter Young and single. I think it wasn't just coming. I mean, when Quesada did it, Quesada did it for ego. I stand by that to this day. Um, but I, there was pressure from above to say to get some sort of single Spider-Man in there. Yeah, and it it, <laughs> it failed during the Clone Saga, and it failed during the reboot as well. And frankly, yeah. it's failed during Brand New Day, but they just won't admit it. So. Yeah. But unfortunately, people are buy enough. People are buying the title; they don't feel they have to. Change gears. So. Got to get the got to get the Gwen variants. Yep, yep. <laughs> Gwenpool. Yep. Anyway, Peter then sees Venom. Mary Jane comes home and gets in the cab with her stalker. Eddie Brock is at the Daily Bugle, and of course he blames Jameson for ruining his life and career, which he also blames Spider Man for because <clears throat> there we go. Spider Man caught the real Sin Eater, and Brock reported a story on a fake Sin Eater, and so because Brock didn't do his journalistic homework. It's Spider-Man's fault, and it's Jameson's fault for reporting it, which is the stupidest criminal motivation probably until the black cat is mad at Spider-Man <laughs> because as when Dr. Octopus had his body, he punched her out. And even though now it's no longer Dr. Octopus, she's still mad at him. Makes a lot of sense. So anyway, and shouldn't shouldn't that have been a great opportunity to, to tweak with Venom's origin story since you just did a damn reboot? Well, they were so in, interested. Well, I don't know. You would think so, yeah, since they were tweaking everything else. <coughs> why, why did his origin need to be changed? Well, the thing is, I don't know. The thing is, it's a stupid, it's a stupid motivation. And I guess, in a way, though, you know, psychopaths don't blame themselves for their problems. Psychopaths, and I think, again, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa actually did a very good Eddie Brock story because you really do see how how crazy he is because he is blaming everybody else. It makes sense in the context that that's written. That he's that he's he won't take responsibility. Here, on the other hand, though, it just became a tired mantra. You know, I'm Venom. I'm you know, I hate Spider-Man because of this. And it was like, God, get over it. It was your own goddamn fault. <laughs> you know. And then he turned into the protector of the innocent. Blah blah blah, and things like that. So, um, yeah. I don't know. Actually, I thought this whole Secret Wars thing was a was a way to go back and correct some of that stuff. But apparently, they're not going to do that either. So, who knows? Uh, anyway, so Brock takes. You know, Brock goes in, busts into the Daily Bugle, takes James in hostage, takes James into the church where he first bonded with the symbiote, a story first told in Amazing Spider-Man 300. Well, anyway, Spider-Man shows up and gets knocked out by Venom. But Venom doesn't kill him because the carnage symbiote he absorbed is giving him some indigestion, which is literally true because he keeps burping. Anyway, so he leaves. And Jonah says, aha, now I can take off Spider-Man's mask. And he grabs Spider-Man's mask and says, after all this time, I know. Which starts another subplot, which isn't resolved for several more months. And guess how it's resolved? Jameson admits, I didn't look. 
<laughs> the stalker actually takes Mary Jane home to a dark apartment because Peter's not there, and then he calls her to tell her that she can't get away from him and that he's coming after her, but first he's coming after Peter. <laughs> you know, and that's it. <laughs> there you go. All right, uh, let's see. You want to do web spinners now? We'll do web spinners really quick here. Uh, Web Spinners, as it was originally created, was supposed to be sort of another untold tales of Spider-Man. Yeah. So there was a uh, reason they were untold. Yeah. <laughs> but it was unlike the original Untold Tales of Spider-Man, which was kind of in sequential length from the beginning. Web Spinners, or unlike Chapter One, which was supposed to be a reboot of Spider-Man, retelling the first eighteen months of Amazing Spider-Man, Web Spinners was supposed to be untold stories taking place scattered. So it was never, you know, you, you could be in the early years, uh, one issue, and then you could be like yesterday in another issue or whatever. So it was supposed to be pot shot all over Spider-Man's continuity. Well, Jake, this is where we're first introduced to Paul Jenkins. Oh, really? This is the issue? Huh? I believe this is it. This is the issue where Paul Jenkins starts writing Spider-Man. And unlike... The re- the whole idea of what web spinners is this actually takes place in the current continuity and this is the story there where Jenkins because Jenkins is using the chameleon and since that was Spider Man's very first villain uh, super villain uh, Jenkins asked Marvel you know wait 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 I got this chapter one sh- continuity and I got the regular which one do I use and they say I'll oh, use the <laughs> use the real one you know yeah <laughs> yeah so I mean so here we are. We're not even a year into the reboot, and Chapter 1's not even done yet. You know, or actually it is finishing this month, but Chapter 1, you know, Jenkins would have gotten the job months before. So even before Chapter 1's done, Jenkins has told ignore it. That it's, <laughs> we're he he ship admitted him. as much on the Alvaro boards. Yep. He swung by and said, uh, they told me I could, I, I could ignore Chapter 1, which was, which was me believing. is that Jenkins was like, I did not want to use Chapter 1. <laughs> and all the people rejoiced. Yep. All five people were happy, yeah. Like in Monty Python, and there was much rejoicing. Yay. Um, so anyway, so actually, this is a really good, creepy chameleon tale. Um, that sounded vulgar. But anyway, and I'll try to, I'll try to wrap. Basically, chameleon takes he pretends to be I, I can't really do it justice because he starts out he's just like sitting in a in a room by himself and he's playing sad italian music and he's talking to himself in a mirror and sometimes he sees himself as a clown and there's all kinds of psychological crap going on and peter then we you know then jenkins tries to kind of give some weird ass origin for spider-man spider sense by peter saying that oh you know ever since i was a little kid i always had this sense about me that i could always tell what was going on i could always tell when somebody was standing around the corner going to bully me and i could always tell i always knew when a professor or a teacher was going to give a test and then when i got the spider bite it just went into hyper gear or whatever so <laughs> so that was kind of squirrely but really this is kind of, was actually a pretty intense chameleon story and the chameleon pretends to be peter and he actually goes to the deluxe apartment in the sky and hangs out with aunt may and eats her her meatloaf and there's actually (laughs) what a weird sentence (laughs) and and there's actually kind of a cool scene where he just stands in front of the bathroom mirror and he's peter and then he's chameleon and then he's spider-man and just the guy's nuts i mean he's just absolutely nuts And then he calls Peter because remember, Chameleon knows that Peter is Spider-Man because he unmasked him back after the clone saga. Um, so he calls Peter and he says, 
I was your first. You called me a commie, remember? Just this real creepy <laughs> shit, you know? And, um, you know, and so um, he lures Peter to, he sends a subliminal message like he did at the very first issue of Amazing Spider-Man to tell him to meet him at this particular building, uh, the Lark building. So, I mean, so Jenkins like literally goes back to the beginning. Uh, and Spider-Man thinks he's going to meet the chameleon, but basically it's a, just a dummy or whatever, and it's kind of like a gotcha thing. And the chameleon dummy is holding Aunt May's pearls to show Peter that he was actually there in the apartment. And so Peter calls Aunt May and says, Aunt May, are you okay? And Aunt May says, yeah, sure, why wouldn't I be? Gee, Peter, why are you so stressed? You look good. You know, you were doing fine when you walked out of here 30 seconds ago. Uh, and it's like, oh, shit, you know. And aren't you, you know, where, uh, Aunt May, uh, I'm kind of a little scatterbrained right now. Where did I say I was going? Uh, oh, you were going to go meet Mary Jane. Oh, yeah. So anyway, in the last in the last panel is, is Mary Jane on the street, and there's the chameleon behind, you know, staring at her so you think oh boy shit's gonna get real but anyway in the next issue chameleon appears to have kidnapped mary jane but it's really an illusion he kind of steals mysterious gimmick he he lures peter to the bri the bridge the bridge uh but then in one of the weirdest moments of spider-man ever chameleon says i love you peter and jumps off the bridge so yeah but all in all, it was actually a pretty good, pretty creepy two-part tale, and it was, uh, yep. and it, it kind of told us, hey, this this guy Jenkins, uh, he he knows how to write. So there's yeah. there's two moments I remember with the chameleon after this was when Aunt May defeated him with cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote that? I can't remember. Roberto Aguirre was that Casa? Okay. So it was that, and then Mary, yeah, Mary the, Jane, Mary Jane whipping his ass with the baseball. Yeah, I remember that. That too. was uh, JMD Mateus, spectacular. Oh, that was great stuff, man. <laughs> do do we have one last one? Is that the chapter one? Yeah, it's the chapter one, but really, there's not much to say about it. Um, yeah. Boy, Brad's trying to get this hurried along, you know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, chapter one twelve was chap It was chapter one, number twelve. The very last issue of Chapter 12, which I said had basically been retelling 12. the first Chapter 12. I'm sorry, Chapter 1. I'm trying to get through. Feels like 12 See, I'm, I'm stressing because I'm waiting for. I'm, I'm afraid Brad, Brad's going to type this little blurb in that says one minute GB. You oh, know, he's, because he's surfing for uh, for Muppet pictures right now. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh God! Anyway, if I heard a ding, ding. I would have. Ding! Scream. <laughs> you hit it, ding! Chapter one was retelling the first 18 issues of Amazing Spider-Man. This story is basically the Spider-Man quits uh, after, you know, he, he he runs out on the Green Goblin in issue 17 because he hears Aunt May's had a heart attack and everybody thinks Spider-Man's a coward. Then he gets in a fight with Stan Sandman, which rips his mask and it would reveal himself. So he runs away. And so everybody thinks he's a coward. So that's kind of the redoing. It's redoing that story with little tweaks. Like for example, this is the first time he's actually met the Sandman and the Sandman has been brought to this country by Norman Osborn because Norman and the Sandman are third cousins. Because so, they have the same hair. That's the only The reason. same hair, yes, yes. And that's that's all you need to know about Chapter 12. I mean, Chapter 12. Issue 12 of Chapter 1. What if that, this story should file for Chapter 11, actually? <laughs> it was creatively bankrupt. They're, they're, uh, it was bankrupt, dude. <laughs> so there you have it. There you have it. Uh, that's one thing I, about, uh, about Burn and Chapter 1. <clears throat> Remember when we talked about this on the podcast at one point? Uh how Byrne said he didn't like drawing the Green Goblin. I've always enjoyed John Byrne's art. 
I have always enjoyed it, but you could – once he said that, it made sense because there was something about his Green Goblin, the way he drew him, that was always off. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and so then when he came out and said, well, I just don't like drawing the Green Goblin, period. I think the Green Goblin is stupid. It, suddenly it made a lot of sense. Well, he he always I thought he always drew the green he, I thought he drew the green goblin as kind of a skinny spindly guy, but then Norman Osborn is always kind of a, you know, big, you know, he's not he's like a a quarterback type football character. You know, he's not a 300 pounds linebacker, but he's pretty solidly built. But yet the green goblin was always a spindly guy, you know. I always took that as a as a way to show that how the how the same guy can be changed just by being insane. So you actually you actually took this bad artwork as to have some kind of symbolic meaning? Yeah, I I, I did. I, for me, it was like it, the way Burn Droom was kind of a throwback to Ditko. Um, yeah, it was more <clears throat> Ditkoish than it was. Uh, but right. I, I always took it to to sort of be like a subtle way of showing how insanity warps you. Period. I may have been you know just reading into it because it turns out the whole time Burn hated drawing him. Um, <laughs> You know, but at the time, before I knew that, I, I thought that that was was on purpose. Well, he was couple, trying to ape Ditko a little bit. I think start during this time period. Yeah. Wasn't, so, you know, speaking of Mister Byrne, he also wrote another title this month that I don't think we've ever talked about on Spider. Oh, History. Marvel Hidden Years or the Lost, no, Lost Generation? Nope, uh, Spider Woman, the Maddie Franklin ongoing uh, series. Yeah, there's a reason we don't uh. talk about. It. I know it was art by Bart Sears, which was ugly looking artwork. No offense to Mr. Uh, you know, Sears, but man. Okay, and, and the Maddie Franklin like Bart Sears. Does, does, does John Byrne have a stipulation in his contract that he has to creepily write fourteen-year-old girls? Yeah, that that image of Spider-Man kissing her on that cover is so creepy. Like, because I mean, think about it. He, in, in the eighty during the, his X-Men running, he introduces Kitty Pride. He introduces Maddie Franklin here. Uh, there was a there was some sort to introduce a teenage character every yeah, time. Yeah, it's like dude. Stop. Another book that came out uh, this month in October '99 uh, was Slingers number eleven. Uh, Very good run. I like that book a lot. Hey. You didn't care for oh, it? No, no. Zach, of all people, I think you would like I, it. I, 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 I read the first few issues. Yeah, I didn't. <clears throat> I like I like Slingers. Jared, you read Slingers? No. No. Okay. Uh, also came out this month, uh, Contest of the Champions, Volume 2, Number 3. Ugh. Also, uh, Spider-Girl, Number 13, came out. Yeah. This this one, uh, I guess she meets the Avengers for the first time. I remember yeah. at this time in history, <clears throat> when I was reviewing, uh, this is a hero realm, I think, back then, JR. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, yeah, it was. And I was consistently, I was, every month I was pointing out that the best Spider-Man book... Was was not the flagship title that it was in fact Spider Girl. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know now we have that today where you know when Peter David was doing Spider Man twenty ninety nine, I was pointing out Spider Man twenty ninety nine right now is the best Spider Man title. So, and this is also, also in the period of crawl space history. This was the time when Brad Douglas was writing every single review on the front page. <laughs> oh my God, really? Yeah, yep. that, that's true. <laughs> Also, uh, I, I guess it's Spider-Man related, but uh, according to Spider-Fan, the Galactus the Devour miniseries came out, and that was one of the last books that John Buscema penciled. It was written by uh, Louise Simonson. I remember that I think that the one. last, um, last uh, Spider-Man issue he drew was the annual with, annual, with yeah. the ringer that was so goddamn awful. Yeah. Uh, our pal Sal's brother, big brother. Yep. So, 
so JR, good month, bad month. Oh, what do you think? Bad month. Except bad. except for the, for Spider Man for Spider Historians and things, this is Paul Jenkins' first uh run at Spider Man. So it is right. a significant month in, in a way. And it's a, like I said, it's a decent comedian story, although it has an utterly weird ending which makes absolutely no friggin' sense. So this is this is pre is this pre Mary Jane hit him, hit the chameleon, or is this after? after. No, this is after. Yeah. Yeah, Mary Jane. So Mary Jane. was the one that wrote him getting his ass. And that was in spec, wasn't it? It was in spec with Luke Ross on yeah. our. What, what, what was right. it that Aunt May took uh, Chameleon down? Was it Ambien? Did Ambien. The cookies? Yeah, she loaded the cookies with uh, Ambien. And when did that when did that issue take place? Or what? Roberto Guerrero She was yeah. such a sinister bitch in that moment. It was delicious. <laughs> like, she had no fear, man. She was just so matter of fact about it. Mm-hmm. It was after. It was post unmasking, Brad. Oh, God. It was. It was. Glorious. Well, you know, it, it's funny. It, it's funny because I, I had just made the complaint. I made the complaint about how can Aunt May quote unquote not know that her own son is Spider Man? Well, she knew that Peter was a fake when he walked into the Avengers Tower because that, that's where they were living at the time. Uh, he, that's why she had made the cookies beforehand and loaded them up because she knew it wasn't Peter. She said, "So who are you, Chameleon or Mysterio, oh, uh, or something yeah, was- like that?" And she said, "And he said, how do you know?'" And he said, "Don't you?" Th-? She basically said, "Don't you think I would know my own son or something like that?" Which yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I think she said yeah. I mean, she might have said child. I thought. And then Chameleon's like, "OMFG, this old lady just drugged me." Yep, <laughs> you yep. know, and then just, oh, it was it was a great moment. It was a great moment, and it, it <laughs> was it on Helm and Dean. <clears throat> it reminds me that you know that's another good thing to point out about. Yeah, I think you're right, Zach. Um, same guy that did uh, the Stegron arc, Brad, that we covered on fi- uh, Friday Night Fights not so long ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that when Jenkins took over uh, on PPSM, he actually had Aunt May do things and and be be important to the stories. He gave her a purpose. The only thing that Byrne and Mackie did in Amazing after they brought Aunt May back was give her a new hairdo. It looked like a mushroom. As yeah, they are I mean, out. literally, that was the extent of her character development that first year. <laughs> they gave her a new hairdo. Yeah. You know? Basically, well, cause, because once again, there's symmetry between between the uh, chapter, the chapter one debacle with, with and the final chapter with, with May and... Norman Osborn and Harry Osborn in the Clone Saga because Clone Saga everything was setting up Gaunt in Blood Brothers was supposed to be Harry who didn't die from the uh, Goblin formula but his body was emaciated so he was getting with Seaward Trainer to get to get his body cur- you know right basically and then you had instead of Baby May in uh, final chapter you had Aunt May. You remember what was it like the Amazing Spider-Man Annual 2000 when like he went in that warehouse and there was like a hairy hologram? Yep. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up, gang. 